Welcome to Noclip. I'm Chad Rutterman. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Noclip. I'm Chad Rutherman. I'm JJ Artemis. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today we're going to be talking about Celeste, a platform game that was released in 2018 and was developed by uh, Matt, it's Matt Makes Games, but specifically it's Matt Thorsten and uh, who's the other guy? Noel Berry. Uh, it's a really small team and they actually developed this game initially as a game jam game. Uh, which is becoming, like, way more common nowadays than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, let's see. I'm sorry, I'm still getting over the fact that someone's parents named their child Noel Berry. <laughs> it's, a, I mean, it's such a, it's a whimsical name. It's a very, it's a very Christmassy name. <laughs> yes! Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is kind of a Christmassy like, game. Yeah, if his name was Noel Holly, that would be the only way it could be more Christmassy. <laughs> uh... Is so, it a Noel Berry pie that they make at the end? Those aren't actually strawberries. Right. <laughs> that was his one contribution. Yeah. He's, I believe he was the artist. Either way, mm-hmm. uh, the important thing here is that this was a, a a platforming game, and we played it on, I think all of us played it on the Switch, mm-hmm. uh, though it is also available at the very least on PC. Um, so this game is like... Slightly more hard than I'm comfortable with. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Like I still get through it, and there's a certain like effect of games like this that I kind of want to talk about at some point uh, early on. But like I was able to get through it, and I feel like a lot of my frustration just came from me being impatient. Um, because with enough time, it turns out even JJ Artemis <laughs> can beat. Celeste. Oh god, I should have brought my Switch or done something to compare at the time because I'm sure it's actively embarrassing to everyone else. But I, I agree, this is a game that's slightly too hard to be something that I would enjoy to do with my own time, but I think that's actively the point. I think they they nailed like a situation where they tried to present you with an obstacle that seemed believably frustratingly near impossible. Uh, and, and showing and forcing you to have like some form of faith in yourself over time that you can overcome it. I think that they reached varying levels of success with that premise at different points. But I mean, I beat it, and if I if I could beat this, the definition of the kind of games that I normally don't engage with. If I <laughs> if I complained on this very podcast about Super Mario Sunshine's like <laughs> pinpoint accurate platforming, uh, then I think I can't help but give them some credit that they were able to design things well enough that I eventually didn't quit. Right. Because Lord knows I would have. Man, would I am I willing to quit games if they're bad enough? Oh yeah. Um so, yeah, th- this leads into what I want, but I do want to mention just offhand, just clear the air, if you thought that Celeste was, like, an easy game, uh, you are better at games than us, and I'm okay with that. Mm. I'm secure in my uh, game-playing ability. Um, it's easy on the eyes. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that I wanted to talk about in regards to the difficulty is something that 100% should have come up when we talked about Hotline Miami, yeah. but we sort of, like, were real hard into the, like, 
thematic elements of that game on that episode for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I feel as though you can make a game nearly as hard as you want as long as the iteration time is so short that you don't frustrate people. Like, the fact that each screen only took a few seconds to get through meant that no matter how difficult of a time that I was having, I wouldn't quit because something was too hard. I would more often quit immediately after overcoming it. Agreed. Yeah, it was always a release point for me. I would probably, because I am a really stubborn jerk, I would (laughs) never allow the game to beat me at any point and only quit after I conquered it and put it in its place (laughs) under my foot where games belong. Right. Yeah, it almost, it feels very, uh, like a very good decision to have designed it this way because breaking it up into those chunks the way that they did makes the game a lot more palatable, at least to start out. Because, like, for me, like, I found this game to be, like, almost off-puttingly challenging at the beginning, but, like, I feel like once I got around to, like, the fourth level, like, the Golden Ridge or whatever that level is, the game kind of clicked with me, mm-hmm. and it, it, it was a lot... It didn't get easier, per se, but it was a lot more <laughs> like I found the groove that you need to be in to, like really plow through the game. Yeah, like, you know what was expected of you at yeah. that point. Um, yeah, I felt like, as somebody, like, cause I've, I've played through and beaten the, like, primary campaign elem- uh, of uh, Super Meat Boy, and, like, I talked about how difficult that I found um, Ori in the Blind Forest on this podcast. Uh, go listen to that episode. Um <laughs> Uh, Mom Cave. It's a couple of... Anyway. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, like, I I do engage with this type of, of game, though. Like, the precision platformer genre is something that I, I kind of do really enjoy. It's just, like, always about finding that balance. And I think Celeste is the first one in about ten years that I've played that I wouldn't have stopped playing it even if it wasn't like something we were doing to talk about it was a game that i would have enjoyed going through from start to finish even if it angered me at sometimes and even if there were elements of it that i couldn't now keep in mind i beat the game and then i went to go to the core and they told me that i had to go do all the really hard stuff (laughs) and so i went to do the really hard stuff and then i was like Oh, never mind. Fuck this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm definitely not so hardcore that I I wanted to tackle the additional challenge, but playing through the main game was purely satisfying to me. Like from from point A to point B. Yeah, the game offered me that catharsis at at that point, and I completely accepted it <laughs> as more of an accomplishment than it likely realistically is. I was like, "Yep, good enough, <laughs> done." I actively dreaded coming to this at points. Not in a way that was like, oh god, this is going to be so bad, but almost in the same way that you would dread like a a family member that you don't click with coming over like for a long period of time. I, 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 there was no hate in my heart. There was only worry. Lots mm. of worry. And sometimes it was hard for me to start playing, but once I was there, I stayed there. And I can only think that it was the game keeping me there with some kind of invisible gloom because if <laughs> I if I quit Mario games and didn't quit this like I I had to imagine there was sorcery at play right yeah I feel like this game struck a nice balance as well because 
uh, when I played, was playing Super Meat Boy, like, I hit a spot where, like, I just gave up and was not interested anymore. Right. Like, the level where you have to, like, uh, race the other character through the level. And I was like, well, I've done this, like, 50 times. Like, I, I don't need to beat this game. Yeah. But Celeste finds that nice uh, balance. And I think it really does lie in how they break up the levels into, like, more digestible chunks. Right. Because when you compare it to something like Super Meat Boy, which I feel like is... is almost like a, a comparison that has to be made. Just just something that people are obviously going to draw the connection to. Um, Super Meat Boy has these boss levels, and I think that that's where the game really suffers, and people probably disagree with that, but uh, it's the point in the game where it doesn't feel like all you have to do is execute a particular thing flawlessly. It feels like it's a lo- much longer chunk. Eventually, you'll memorize the whole thing and get it down, but it takes a lot longer and is a lot more... like time intensive whereas even in Celeste's two maybe if you want to call them that boss battles uh, big air quotes Mm -hmm. um, it still delineates it into chunks there are parts of it that you don't have to do again once you do it and notably and something that I love about this game it has this like I feel like the a lot of the screens were designed with a very particular line in mind to get from the beginning to the end of them and doing them over and over again lets you hit that like one perfect run that just goddamn feels so good mm-hmm. uh, and the boss battles I thought were particularly good at that where it was like just get here to there it's real easy but if you're like perfectly on the ball you'll like do a bounce on the guy's head and like get a free dash and then go up and around and it looks like glorious I was going to say, yeah, I saw uh, the uh, video or the level designer for this game talked about how they designed the levels. And that, I mean, that is basically how they did it. Like, there's a very particular path that they had in mind to, like, get through the level. And they just kind of, like, built it, like, the, the level and, you know, like, made little iterations to get it, like, perfect, as you would imagine. It comes through. Was Noel Christmas Pants the guy who was like the incredibly prolific speedrunner in Mario who made all those like crazy Super Mario Maker levels? No. Oh, okay. Unless that's a thing, no. and I just don't know. One hundred percent. I also looked up because weirdly, compared to most games that we get on this on this podcast, uh, there was a lot of material available, and in terms of like the intent of the designer, them talking about their iteration process, what they were doing, and I know for a fact one of the two designers uh, that that you mentioned. Uh, is some kind of crazy Super Mario Maker guy, which is part of the reason why the the incredible high-end difficulty after game can be as rewarding as it is. And this game apparently, you know, fun fact, I learned it afterwards myself, <laughs> just never stops teaching you mechanics. Mm. Even in once you get into the hard mode, there are still tutorializations for things that you never have to do in the immediate game. Uh, nonsense like... You apparently, I doubt you guys noticed this, when you change between screens, you get your color back, even if you haven't touched the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can jump between screens in order to get higher with... Yes. Yeah. I did notice that, because I'm an aesthetics guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's also some nonsense you can do when you do some kind of like ground-based dash that flings you really far, that they explicitly tutorialize at a couple of purposes, but only after the entire main game experience. Right. So, in... On, on a first initial crit path run, 
there is probably only about one thing you're supposed to do, but even considering how tightly they designed those experiences, they still were able to fit into it techniques that were, were both prescribed but incredibly high level, like things that weren't exploits, things that they intended to be there, that yeah. was still crazy and alternative. They talked about that as well. Like, he showed an early level where he, he showed, like, how most players are going to go through it. And he's like, oh, you can actually do this in, like, one jump if you do it this way. <laughs> and then he showed that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you can tell, like, the depth of uh, design that went into these levels is pretty pretty uh, impressive. Yeah. I've got to hammer that home. Like, in any other game that would be talked about in that kind of light, that would be some unintended strategy that someone figured out how to do in, like, Battle for Bikini Bottom or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that would... It would be the tech. What a, what a good pull. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, that seems like it's getting more and more popular because that was one thing that I remember people talking about with Super Mario Odyssey. Like, there was, like, one particular example everyone always used where, like, you can do all this crazy string of jumps and get up onto this platform, and there's a bunch of coins up there because, like, the developers realized that you could make it there. Right. And they put a reward. Yeah. That just seems like that's being done more and more in games these days. Mm-hmm. And that exact uh, sort of philosophy goes into the placement of things like the strawberries in this game. Like, I doubt that anyone's first run through Celeste is going to be like a 100% strawberries run. Because there are some of them that are very difficult to get to, but even further than that, some of them that feel like you need to figure something out about the game that you don't know when you see them. Because you're like, that would be literally impossible. Like, I can't map out a line that gets me there and then puts me back somewhere safe to continue with the level. Uh, And, I mean, obviously, like, the strawberry thing comes from... Is, is, you know, it's a staple of the genre, basically. The extra little challenge. Every one of Edmund... Edmund, 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 McMillan. Edmund? Edmund McMillan's uh, platformers <laughs> have exactly the same uh, like mechanic because Meat Boy has the band aids, World Ends with You has the tumors. Uh, I think you even... mean the world ends with you. <laughs> is that what I said? Yeah, yeah. that's what oh, you said. Sorry, the uh, end is not. The end is not. That's it. <laughs> Apocalypse themed games, you know, whatever. All the same. In the world ends with you, they've got those, the strawberries you have to collect. Yeah. Um, but, like I said, even these are, are probably some of the best designed ones that I've run across. Like, And they were always tempting to me, even knowing, like, the game up front tells you, like, these are just to brag about. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, mean, I guess. Don't break your mind trying yeah. to live up to the expectations <laughs> of yeah. crazy Mario Maker guy. They were something, for me, like my personal experience with the strawberries, like, I'm not a completionist at all, mm-hmm. but in the beginning, they started off like, easy enough that I could like get them without put like you know beating my head against a wall or mm-hmm. anything so I was trying to get all of them and then I quickly uh, <laughs> decided fuck the strawberries I'm not getting any of the strawberries oh you abandoned the berries hold on and then <laughs> once I got to like Golden Ridge where the like twist. where I kind of like started to click with the game I was then now back in strawberry mode, right? And was getting the strawberries again. I followed. But it was pretty quick to give up on them if they were too hard. I followed a, such a similar path with them that I think when we compared our stats at the end of the game, uh, I had gotten like only like six more strawberries than you did, mm-hmm. which really just means that I was more stubborn at the beginning, <laughs> right? Than than you were. You mean the numbers? Want them numbers? 
I don't remember. Somewhere in the 30s. The thing that I yes. remember was our uh, our death counts were only 30 apart. Oh, I'm maybe my... it was that that was... 30. 30. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I don't remember. Because I remember I died like 1,600 times. I I died 1,636 times, and you died 1,606 times. Yeah, that's what it was. And I was like, this is unbelievable how similar (laughs) they are. Uh, So there's some more stats for you guys if you want to think about how much better at this game than us you are. (laughs) Uh, And alternatively, if you're worse at this game than we are, um, it's okay, man. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Uh, it's just a game. Um, the thing with the strawberries, though, uh, the ones that I did end up, like, getting, because I didn't really, like, give up completely, I just kind of assessed the situation before I went in, and I'm like, is this worth, like, getting super angry over? Um, like, super angry is just a state that I'll enter for a few seconds occasionally, and, uh, it'll subside pretty quick, but I don't really ever want to go there. Um... But, like, I'm somebody who loves uh, games like Tony Hawk and, like, Rock Band and things that, like, help you enter sort of, like, a rhythmic flow state. And there were some strawberries that made you... That felt like that, where, like, it was just executing a clean line. Mm -hmm. And I love that. You know what game really gave me that feeling was Guacamelee. Oh, yeah. Like, late game Guacamelee, where they want you to chain all the moves together to get to, like, ridiculous places. I never got to late game Guacamelee, but I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, like, because they have, like, several glidey, like, Mm power-ups that you can chain together and, like, like, with the reality swap mechanic so you're like flying through the air and like shifting a platform out of existence so you can fly through it mm-hmm. and then putting them back so you can land on one and then jump to another one so you can boost again it's right. like late yeah it's crazy but anyway no, yeah, that's no, what that's it made just, me think of well i mean the uh <laughs> like pre- both precision platforming and like the recent rash of metroidvanias that have come out kind of do have that flow state like goal we talked about or in the blind forest and how and I actually mentioned this while I was playing. Like, I feel like there were certain levels of Celeste that felt like they were the tower from uh, Ori. You mean the Jinzo tree? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, there are several levels that have, like, the same sort of, like, goal. Es- escape the thing. Yeah. Three and, points for Andy. Remember yes. Jinzo tree. Yeah. So the Jinzo tree uh, also gave me that feeling. Even I, though I was, like... Like you know, property destructively angry at it. Uh, like there were elements of it where you're just like, oh, and then I do this one, I dash over here, and like, mm-hmm. oh, like what? Like once you hit that point, I immediately fall in love with the level. Like it just is a thing. And the strawberries, I think, helped bring that to screens that otherwise I wouldn't have felt that way about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, this game is so well made by people who understand platformers to such a ludicrous degree. That from the perspective of the average player, it sc- it can scale up functionally infinitely in difficulty, and that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's bonkers. I since we've been talking so much about this lovely tree, uh, after the the sequence where you finally fuse with your purple self, uh, <laughs> I had like I had thought for like a solid week since then about whether or not that finally surpasses Ori as not just my favorite platformer level in general, uh, but also my favorite platformer ever? And I think the answer is yes. Uh, I'd like... There... Ori's mechanics and the things that I love about it 
the way that um, I forget the name of it, like the bounce or whatever, the knock thing where you can bounce off things in the air, yeah. allowed you to do the kind of ridiculous things that the air dash that's automatically built into the game already accommodate for. And unlike uh, Ori's mechanics, that air dash you can't press it in advance. Like there, it isn't a safety net. Mm-hmm. It, it, when you do it is entirely up to you, and that makes the game harder, but that also makes the game more under your specific control. It's You have a little bit more agency over what's going to happen when. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I was going to say Ori is a little bit more passive. Yes. And that's themed around his character, even. So Indeed. Yeah. yeah and that's, uh, in, in terms of Celeste's air dash... Um, the like the fact that it's built in and not and it and it is such an active ability. Mm-hmm. The fact that like one of the things, one of the mechanics that you can do early but don't have to actually master until way way late, like probably not until like the last level, um, is uh, dash canceling. So if you dash and then dash out of the dash, it'll stop moving <laughs> in the one direction. Mm-hmm. So there's some areas. Um, one of like the final climb to the top of the mountain. Um, and this is just one that comes to mind. Uh, there's like a, si- a series of like spikes, uh, spike platforms that have like gaps in them, yeah. and you have to jump through them using carefully timed dashes. And it is like, it's like the I don't know, like the quintessential example of doing this uh, maneuver. And it's like that's the point where you're just like, I have to be entire. I have to understand entirely down to the millisecond where I'm supposed to be executing each thing mm-hmm. and then I can finally pass and move on. And this time last year, that final sequence that you're referring to would have been the absolute perfect example of what I hate about platformers. <laughs> it would have been the thing that I pointed to and been like, why Why is the possibility space that narrow? Why do you only care about this specific thing? And why do I have to die a trillion times to get through it? Uh, and I still broadly agree with past self. I still did not enjoy that uh, <laughs> at all. And probably 60 some odd deaths just right bound up right in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but... The context that the game placed around that circumstance, uh, the crazy high that I was on at the time, because from the moment that I you know, reunited with yourself and was like, oh my god, they gave you a second dash, I was so <laughs> emotionally skyrocketed at that point that I couldn't put the game down after that. And I didn't. I just sat there and beat the entire thing from that point onward. Mm-hmm. And the costs of failure are so incredibly low that the game is able to ask more of you because you're paying less every time you don't succeed. Like, it's to the point now, and though I've never played Meat Boy, obviously, I imagine this this is a, a similar thing in that game. It The costs become so low that, that you start to contextualize each death more as an action than a fail state. It almost feels like every time I'm trying to manipulate something in Celeste, like... I'm moving one section of a Rubik's Cube, so to speak, and mm-hmm. sometimes I fuck up and have to put things back and like continue the switching motion, but my brain started to consider what was happening as steps toward a success instead of failures repeatedly, uh, and it, it was and even the thing that I would hate most of all suddenly not just became bearable, but became like completely acceptable. Uh, it, it became something that I actively enjoyed, and that's crazy to me that, that a platformer could ever do that to me. So you like 
you were able to sort of like separate and identify the element of yourself that made you dislike platformers, <laughs> and then you merged with it and transcended. And we're able to finally climb a mountain. You know what, Chad? Your joke is on point. Your joke, your joke is literal, despite how much you you want it to be funny. I, th- this game did such a good job uh, at contextualizing you as the player, making you empathize with Madeline's experiences. I mean, one way or the other, it's such a such a human game in a lot of ways, especially narratively, uh, that. Yes. I the game forced me to not be frustrated anymore. It allowed me to be like, okay, this is a goal. I'm going to pass it and to move past the frustration in myself, which is the narrative of the game. Right. It's so good. The I think the only part of it that I found like truly very frustrating and, like, Andy was, like, there at the time, and he kept, like, walking out of the room, which I assume was because I was just making him very uncomfortable <laughs> by my incredibly bitter commentary. It was, uh, <laughs> that's enough Dark Souls for tonight kind of moment. Yeah, where I had, like, uh, it was it was just, like, this one room where you had to hit the switches to open the, the door. This is in, like, the last climb. Uh, and it had those springs, so you would jump back and forth between the two. Mm-hmm. If you played through the entire game, you probably can identify the room I'm talking about by that description. Mm-hmm. At least I hope so. But the problem was with the last jump was so incredibly like narrow that you had to like you had to dash up through the hole that opened, but you died if you hit either side. It was like playing Operation <laughs> at a thousand miles an hour, <laughs> and. <laughs> And I just, like, could not do it and repeated that one section, like, 50 times. And it was just getting more angry every time. And I stopped being able to make the first jump. And, like, I would get even angrier at that, even though it was less of a time loss. Uh Those were those 30 extra deaths right Mm -hmm. there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Now, yeah, I feel feel like the... um the game and the narrative have that nice sense of escalation that like you're kind of getting at where for me, like when I, I picked this up when it came out because Chad had told me about it cause it was getting like buzz in yeah. the indie space and whatever. Major buzz. Major buzz. <laughs> but, um, so I picked it up cause I thought it seemed cool and I started playing it like right when I got it. And I remember like, it feeling like frustratingly difficult like my death counter was like way high in the first couple levels i'm sure if i went back and looked at it it would be embarrassing <laughs> um and like i even felt like the narrative felt a little tacked on and like it, it really took it a little while to like get going for me but like once it did it's really good and like if we hadn't done it for the podcast it probably would have been like forever before i came back to this game right so i'm glad that we have the podcast <laughs> I definitely agree about the narrative fusion not really coming into play until later. I, I even took like a lot of specific notes about this early, about how the game has absolutely no interest in making its mechanics a literal part of the game world. Like, y- the game just takes place on a mountain, it's like in Canada, right? Like it's in, in Canada. Yeah, yeah, you're like you're like you're explicitly in Canada. Is that another one of those things that I took note of, and I was like. That ain't gonna come up. <laughs> and here we are. Uh, yeah, you're on a mountain in Canada. Yeah. But then they started to make, as more fantastical elements became canonized in the fiction. Canadanized? Cana- yes, canadanized. <laughs> Correct, Chad. Would you like to repeat that joke again for anyone who didn't hear it? 
Canadianized. <laughs> God, I didn't realize there were more ends. <laughs> you have Whatever. to add additional for the can. Anyway, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Once fun. more fantastical elements had been canonized. Oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> it became less weird uh, that you were playing a character with like weird hair color changing pseudo teleportation abilities. All mm-hmm. uh, the things became fantastical around you, but it started very grounded. So in, while there was some dissonance in the beginning, uh, that was a cost that I think was worth paying for making the characters, like, really, really human, just, like, literal people with people problems. Right. Um, uh, I, I was... They scaled up from there, uh, which is an approach that I genuinely love. Uh, I, I, there were costs to it, but there were costs they were totally right to uh, pay in my mind. Shout-outs to the old lady... Uh, character at the beginning because uh, like this character archetype shows up so often and I really like the way that it's implemented here because the the old lady is set up almost as a way to disarm you and make you think that the narrative is going to be something that's like a, a back burner element of the game where in reality, the game just wants you to hold off on, like, engaging with the narrative until you've gotten, like, sort of a mechanical basis. And then once you do get that, they introduce uh, the character of Theo, and uh, you start to really kind of click with it more. It, like, tutorializes the game, but it puts the old lady there to say, hey... Like, we'll meet up later and talk about the story, but until that time, like, figure out, like, get your wall climbs, get your jumps, get everything, like, down pat, and then we'll we'll reconvene and we'll figure something out. <laughs> yeah. I think the the old lady would not have been so, like, cordial about the matter <laughs> in her description, though. Yeah, considering the majority of her dialogue is just her laughing at you, it's yeah. pretty, uh... <laughs> <laughs> they really did not sound it sounded like a UN representative, not like someone who would punctuate sentences with hag cackles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How is the old lady climbing up the mountain? The, I'm pretty sure that she's either a not really real or it's like a ghost. Yeah. Or something. No, no, every single time in the background, they always had an explanation why while she was there. There were always elevators right, right beside her. Uh, uh, right. Well, how come uh, Madeline couldn't use those elevators? Because it wouldn't be an accomplishment to climb yeah, the mountain. Yeah, I know. I'm just oh. nitpicking like an idiot. <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry that we didn't allow you to be an idiot. God. Uh, um, so I almost kind of wanted to split the narrative discussion a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and put it later mm-hmm. after like a break in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to ask a question, and that question being, do we have more things to talk about mechanically? But that question is so redundant because of like how much mechanically there is um so yeah you'll never stop talking about this game mechanically this is what probably biggest thing in my mind uh i love the choice to make all variation variation in the environment when introducing new mechanics as the game progressed with one awesome exception right at the end with the new hair color because it means that you're never ever confused as to what your capabilities are like you know everything you can do has to be some kind of combination of jumping crabbing and dashing right. to some extent so the, just the number of things you can do is so short your process for figuring out what combination of them will make things successful is very low and when you have to learn new mechanics in the levels it also means the number of things you have to test is very low like 
did you guys, I don't know if it was level one or two, get stuck for a little while until you understood how inertia worked in flinging you when on, when you're on platforms that moved? Uh, it's been a long time since I started the game. I was going to say so. the exact same thing. I have very what? little memory of the first level because I played it in January. Oh, yeah. But I want to say that I've played enough games like this that I thought of that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I feel like in a game with a much more diverse mechanics set, uh, I would have been super frustrated in a lot of those circumstances because I did get stuck. I didn't fully understand the way that those like stoplight platforms worked, and I had no idea that the game cared about how what speed you were moving when you jumped. Right. Uh, but because I only had like three things I could do. Trial and error was like a 30-second process. Yeah, if that. Yeah. The one thing that really, like, stumped me in the game were those platforms that when you're standing on them, like, you move the analog stick and it'll move the platforms. Yeah. Like, I actually had to look that up. Because I, I wouldn't have thought that, oh, these can freely move around. As long as you're, yeah, moving the analog stick. I love those, like, as an addition. I mean, it may have helped that it did, like, kind of click with me immediately, but... I, I love those platforms, and I actually love the addition of the inertia, particularly uh, the platforms that moved when you dashed, so mm-hmm. that you could, like, create launch pads, and they were, like, timing puzzles where you had to, like, get from one place to another. Mm-hmm. This game does include two mechanics that I really don't like. Um, one of them is not unique to this game, of course, but its implement its implementation is, uh, which is the wind. Uh, I don't... Like, there was... A, I think they used the wind in a phenomenal way in the very last level where they had the whole section where the wind is going up which gives you this like really freeing sensation because your jumps are higher and your dashes go further and you're like oh yeah bring me to the sky (laughs) and like it's it's just a really kind of enjoyable uh segment and it was fun to sort of play around in that space and, and work with it but the ones where the wind blows against you i feel like really limits the amount of options you have because oftentimes your ver- your horizontal movement is limited to your dashes so you can draw really clear lines from where and it just i don't know it feels worse like, like compared to a game like journey that uses the same idea of like wind blowing back in your face and the point of that in journey is to make you feel helpless near death and awful (laughs) and then they were like let's put in this colorful platform game which admittedly has very dark themes Mm -hmm. that's not really the goal though in this in that yeah to me it it feels like it makes sense with like the dash mechanic where like you're kind of like you are able to dash like against the wind Mm -hmm. but i do agree that uh those sections are often too long and like parts where you just have to like kind of walk across the ground feel like just terrible yeah given how long those sections can be but it's because it removes one of your three buttons right (laughs) the jump button doesn't exist anymore in those yeah i do like it the parts where it would like switch direction and you could like use that to like fling you across the level yeah the the areas of the of the wind section because i don't hate the wind as a concept just the ones where it's purely a backward wind right uh like i thought that uh, anytime they introduced variation i thought it was fine like fine all the way up to like one of the best experiences i had in the game um but yeah just the one thing the other mechanic and i hate this in all platformers just all of them and i'm curious as to what you guys think about it 
because uh, I don't know if this is a unique thing to me, but uh, in this game it takes the form of clouds, where it's like a bouncy thing, but it doesn't jump you immediately like the springs do. Mm -hmm. um, they operate like the trampolines in Mario, where you have to jump right at the top of the thing in order to get the, the maximum arc. I despise this, and it's just like a on a personal level, like I have nothing, I don't think that it's a bad mechanic. I just really hate them. No, I'm on the exact same page. I hate stuff like that. Good. Like even uh, like in the original Super Mario Brothers, like I I had that on the Game Boy Color, like the re-release or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like the springs, like I still to this day can't figure out the timing on those. Like sometimes <laughs> I just get it right. And so, most of the time, I just kind of like went and like fall into a pit. Yeah, like immediately right mm -hmm. next to it. Yeah, I just, just it always jump. feels bad. Yeah, I'm less harsh on the white clouds because I always felt like if I didn't get the jump correct on those, I could always like get back to the same cloud. Right. Pink clouds can fuck right off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad those were used very sparingly because. They're probably my least favorite environmental hazard in the level. Like, you got one chance to get this timing right. Mm hmm Otherwise, you're just flailing into oblivion. Mm -hmm. uh, I was going to uh, add one more thing to bring up. I wanted to say that I like the choice that there's no enemies in the game. Yes. Yeah, and that, like, the mountain itself is, like, the the thing that you have to overcome. Yeah. Because, like, the, and the one time, two times? Three times. Three times? Mr. Oshiro, yes. the horrifying eldritch monsters. Oh, that... yeah, those things. Like, the fish things? Yes. Like, you start a level and you're, like, playing as one. The, the things in the mirror temple that eat you? <laughs> oh, man, dude, did I totally... How did, I don't know how I forgot about that. That's super obvious. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Right. Now. Yeah. But those things and uh, technically, like, Nega Madeline's, like, attacks. Madeline. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the... Uh, okay, yeah. So the three times in which it, it has enemies... Yeah, and I wouldn't even count bosses, personally, so mm -hmm. that's just one enemy. Right. Uh, but they always offer like another element to them like the the little the fish monsters will reset your jump if you hop on them uh and same goes for oshira's head mm -hmm. as he flies across you can bounce off of that and do some sick flip tricks mm -hmm. uh and then uh madeline's level i just want to talk about like in its own oh yeah thing because it's amazing um but yeah, I totally agree with that. Like, the addition of enemies would not have... Well, there are the snowballs, and those are the shittiest enemies that exist. Oh yeah, I forgot about the snowballs. <laughs> because they just, like, spawn at, like, whatever height you are. Or, like, oh. it definitely does some okay, math to a, figure out where minute. your arc is gonna be. Right. Because so many times I've been like, oh, like, I guess I'm just dead. <laughs> You just have to, like, stall out somewhere before so that you can predict when it's going to show up. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I love the snowballs, but, like, I do feel like they're malicious. <laughs> oh, oh, the fucking... The bubbles that shoot you in a direction are definitely malicious. Because I, if you jump into them and don't hold a button or hold a direction, they just fire you into the nearest thing that kills you. <laughs> like, it doesn't always throw you straight down. It sometimes will just throw you into a wall to murder you. And it's like... Yeah. What I thought it did was it sent you in the last direction you were pushing before you jumped in. So, like, usually when I jumped in, it would always send me, like, straight forward because that was the last... 
You could be correct. Or you actually just put an input in. Maybe. When you jumped in. I'm not sure. But I was convinced that they had it out for me. Like, they were, they were <laughs> gunning to kill me. Alright, so do you want to take that break then? Yeah, yeah. it's there. Alright, it's weird. Welcome back to the podcast. I had sort of an idea of how I wanted to structure this, mm-hmm. um, because I, I think, I genuinely think that the narrative, or at the very least, like, the themes presented by the narrative in this game are very good, and it's done in a, a kind of a strong way that actually merges the mechanics of the game with its its themes, and makes you kind of want to think about it. But I wasn't 100% sure how to approach it, other than being like, this game like is talking about like anxiety and depression, like things that are really commonly uh, afflict the uh, common afflictions of the modern day. Mm-hmm. So I thought instead we should structure this as a discussion of the game on sort of a level by level scenario. So if there are no objections, we kind of talked about the first level. Uh, particularly from a narrative and and uh, like tutorial esque sort of uh, from that angle already, because mm-hmm. um, we discussed the the initial introduction to the narrative is through that old woman and uh, like just Madeline showing up and being like whatever you bag I'm gonna go climb this mountain anyway. Mm. Uh, <laughs> is that your worst version of hag? Is a bag? <laughs> it's a bag. <laughs> like a hag bag. Mm. Uh, I've heard like your old bag before. I think yeah, I feel I've like heard that before as well. Yeah, like, I think bat might be even more common now. Yeah. I feel like what that actually is is a mispronunciation that was so common that it became its own speech pattern. Right. I right. actually was thinking the same thing. Yeah. It's like uh, somebody just kind of combined old hag and old bat together. Into old bag. Old yes. bag. <laughs> like, just a a bag of bones, maybe. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so I don't necessarily know that we need to go to rehash that conversation, considering that it we, it ruined the podcast when we tried mm-hmm. just now. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, so if you move on, uh, the second level. So correct me if I'm wrong, because it's actually been a while. The second level is more of a is kind of more of the same. It's just like a more advanced version of the first level, and it doesn't really further the narrative very much, except at the end it introduces Theo. Um, I have no concept of time, so... And I completely forget the second level. Okay. Might as well have not even played it. <laughs> uh, Is that the spike level? Is that the level of spikes? Yes. Okay. And then the third level is the level with mold, because it's the uh, the hotel, the level, hotel level. level. Oh, it's, it's mold? I don't... That's how I interpreted it. I because it has, it like... Mold either. It could be, like, mind mold. I was thinking... Because it's like black and red, it, it just kind of like thought of it as darkness, mm-hmm. you know, kind of it's like a video game like b- darkness, depression ooze. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of wanted to, like, I wanted to contextualize it within the because it only exists in the, uh... The hotel. Yeah, and hotel-derived areas, which gives it, which I love it mechanically, like, I like the concept of, like, a thing that you can stand on, but then after you've stood on it, you can't stand on it anymore. It's, like, a slightly more elegant version of a platform that just falls away after you stand on it, Mm -hmm. um, and this doesn't come back ever, uh, 
or it does come, whatever, the opposite, <laughs> the platform would come back. This one never goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this level is sort of where it kind of kicks off the whole... Because the second level is where you, where you meet, uh, like, battling through, like, the mirror and stuff. Because um, that whole thing just sort of happens. And then the third level is where that gets amped up a bit. So you kind of understand her motivations a lot better. Uh, by the end of it, and it's kind of told through the story of, of how the two of you interact with through the character of Mr. Oshiro. Oshiro. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I I love, like, I love this level and don't love this level mechanically. Like, I feel like elements of this level uh, that work really well are where the game sort of sticks to its roots, and then there are, like, very confined spaces in this level that I feel like just don't work right like it feels like this game wants you to move around and do a bunch of jumping and shit and this game goes like now you're in a square room with a lot of books in it yeah i liked the level thematically a lot and uh even like narratively too but this was like kind of a breaking point for me when i was playing this the first time because it was still at the point where i wasn't like that great at it and this level's long. Yeah, it's the I, longest one in the game. Yeah. And uh, so it felt like just like exhausting to like play through the whole thing. And then it ended in a boss fight, which I just remember like completely dreading because I felt like I wasn't up to the task yet. Mm-hmm. So like after completing the level, I just like put the game down and stopped playing it. But uh, so I feel like they may have like. Like, it had, like, a kind of a smooth curve, and it kind of spiked here maybe a little bit too steep, but, like, that's just my experience. I feel like I may have had a slightly better experience with it because I found the the Pico 8 machine, and I actually played through the entirety of the original Celeste before going back and finishing the level. Like, I didn't re-access it from the menu to play it. I played it, like, in-universe. Oh, wow. Uh, And, like, that like, honed my platforming abilities pretty significantly. I died, like, 350 times in the fake Celeste. Is there another level down? Is there another... What do you mean? That's what I was praying for, is that, the, like, the Inception would continue? Oh, that you would find <laughs> another uh, game inside the game? Yes. That would be hysterical, especially, like, if it also if it reduced the graphical quality again, <laughs> so that it was, like, Atari 2600, I like, don't just think a it's, square. I, was saying, I don't think it's even possible unless you get, like... Yeah, your character's just, like, two squares. It's just, like, super abstract. Yeah, yeah you, you can do... It, first it becomes Pong, then after that it becomes, like... Those, like, light machines that they used to have in, like, 1900s fairs, where it's just, like, mm-hmm. literal, like, pictures of light bulbs that are lighting up and going dim. I love this idea because it's it rather than that. adventure. Yeah. It goes you say, to like, Celeste. I jump across, and then I hit the dash. <laughs> and type it all in. You do that for a bit, and then it says, you've discovered a computer. And then you go, oh, God. And then you say, I use it. And then, like, just zeros and ones flood the screen. <laughs> you then have to program your own game. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it, it becomes Mario Maker, but, like, you could literally make Mario if you knew the binary required. Anyway, enough about low-level programming. No, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I have to say for one second longer, which is, I don't know what you were implying about make Mario, because you did, cause I assume it's not the same as Mario Maker, where you're making levels right. for Mario. It seems yeah, like you were makes... implying creating the character of Mario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you knew the right, like, code, you could just, like, tell the computer how to like 
render Mario, which is zeros and ones. Right. Yeah, it would have to be. It would be the lowest level. Like it's. We're talking. I mean, it would probably be like trillions of strings of zeros and ones. <laughs> yeah. That you would never ever be able to put in yourself. Yeah, because you couldn't even <laughs> use like basic, like the most simplistic uh, form of programming, because you wouldn't have access to the OR gates. You would, or the any of the gates for that matter. You would just literally have to put in a series of things <laughs> that the computer could then compile. Which would be ridiculously complicated. But if you had that information somehow, it would be possible. Anyway, so then you back out. <laughs> and then I completed the remainder of the level. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It's very long. And uh, there are certain areas of it that are incredibly difficult. For one, I don't know if you guys remember this. They bring it back up one other time near the end of the game. There's this... Because uh, they're like the, the mold guys who go up and down on a wall. Yeah, yeah. It's like a pretty mm-hmm. standard platformer enemy type. Uh, also still kind of an enemy, so maybe that makes four enemies. Um, sure. But they go up and down the wall, and you just have to scale the wall between them. And why? I don't know. But that was impossible for me. Like, jumping between without, not, without jumping directly into the enemy was, like, really hard. I don't know why I'm so bad. There were times in the game, um, and I probably should have brought this up when we were talking mechanics, but whatever, uh, where I felt like the detection on, like, the diagonals or, like, what, like, how I was jumping was, like, a little bit off. Mm -hmm. Or, like, I don't know if it was just me or, like, but, like, especially when dashing, or maybe only when dashing, like, I would jump and think that I hit up left and I'll go, like, straight left. Mm -hmm. I found that happening to me a decent amount. I want to argue that there's some, like, legitimacy to that, but only because I did the same thing. Yeah. And so if it is, if I can successfully blame it on the controller, <laughs> like a true gamer, mm-hmm. I absolutely will. <laughs> yeah. Like, even if it is my fault, I'd much rather say, this game fucked up. Yeah, it's one of those things that's hard to talk about yeah. when you don't have, like... Like, like statistical, deeper, yeah, like, yeah, like deeper hard numbers. knowledge to pull from, yeah. Yeah, I really wish we had some kind of experience machines that I could like plug into you. Like, imagine how many fights would have been averted as children if we could just like te- psychically teleport to one another. Like, this is what it feels like to hold a Mad Cat's. Right. Like, that would have been. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, uh, they did this on Black Mirror, and I think it turns you into a sadosexual killer. I'm not positive. They had you could transfer the experiences of Mad Cat's controllers in a Black Mirror. <laughs> well, it was like every expi- like physical oh. sensation, and so a dude would like hook up a thing to like people and then murdered them to because he like got off on the pain. Yeah, that sounds itchy. Okay. Yeah, it's a really good episode. Yeah, it's a good show. It is. Either yeah, way. Even here, uh, in this Mr. Oshiro level, I completely agree that it was really long. I completely agree that it was claustrophobic in a way that didn't fully realize the mechanics out of the game. Mm -hmm. But I can't blame them for it, because those seem to also be intentional choices designed to evoke the feelings that they wanted to evoke in the level, which Mm -hmm. was uh, the horrible clutter and claustrophobia of the space. How terrible Mr. Oshiro felt, surrounded by his ghostly filth at all times. Uh, and how much effort you were putting forth that wasn't being recognized by the ghost himself as things progressed and made it seem more reasonable 
when you know your dark side comes out and it's like fuck you man like look at all this stuff that I did right like even like that frustration was itself build up to a payoff I agree that I'm not super down on the Oshira boss fight I actually found it kind of easy like easier than the level so it didn't matter it's been a fluke but it didn't pay off in like a real culmination for me uh but uh, I like the way that they tied in uh, the space and the story of what you're going through uh, to the story of the game there, too. It it, it really hammered home that uh, your nega self wasn't, like, a separate entity from you. Like, it, it, it was starting to sow the seeds even here that, like, this really isn't an antagonist. Like, this is just you and, like, mm-hmm. a reasonable response that you're having. Um I, from that, like, for one thing, uh, just to, like, wrap up this, all of this into a nice little package, mm-hmm. I think that the thing that speaks the most for this level, um, because I think it is, like, sort of the most contentious one uh, among just people generally who've played the game, is, one, yeah, I think that most people find it a little bit mechanically unsatisfying, but at the same time, if you listen to us already, having talked about the other levels in the game, this is the one that has the most clear and accessible aesthetic point to it. It's so, the most memorable level. Exactly. And I think that that speaks a lot for it. Um, and then I do want to sidetrack briefly here, and I don't know how long this sidetrack is going to be, mm-hmm. but... I think your mention of the the boss fight being a little bit easy. I I agree with that. Here's the here's the here's the rub, right? Uh, this game soundtrack kicks so much ass. Oh my god! Like I mean, I unbelievable amounts <laughs> of ass that when you play that boss fight, no matter how simple you find it, it like you are just in it. Like you, like you're not like nobody has ever turned the game off during that boss fight because they were so enraptured by the like uh, audio visual experience that they were being put through at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to bring up the music specifically, like, after all this, mm-hmm. uh, but um, it's there's been a lot of, like, retro indie games that have been made. Retro indie 2D platformers? Yes, in, like, the past ten years or whatever. And a lot of them have had chiptune soundtracks to mm-hmm. match, like, their pixel art visuals. And a lot of them, I feel like, don't, like, quite capture the feeling of, like, listening to that old music. Yeah. But, like, this game just, like, fucking gets it. Like, <laughs> this this game hits that, like, Mega Man 2, like, rocking, like, you know, like, that kind of stuff that, like, everyone's, like, fuck yeah, Mega Man 2 theme. You know, this this game gets there with its soundtrack. It does It does the unbelievable in that it out-Shovel Knight's Shovel Knight. Well, I was going to say Shovel Knight's another example of a game that gets it right. Because Shovel Knight nails it, but Shovel Knight has, like, a particular aesthetic that it's going for, and that aesthetic includes having to sort of create a a world with music that fits the theme of like knights and like this yeah. this fantasy world that they've developed whereas Celeste's world is set squarely in the modern day we have a main character that regularly talks about taking selfies um which the argument of whether or not that's going to age well aside it does a really good job of grounding things yeah. um, from a narrative standpoint, but because of that, the the door is left wide open to take the music in whatever direction you want to, and this game fucking just delivers on it. 
it does not feel like a game that is trying to force itself backwards in time into the space that like the old Mega Man 2s used to be in. Mm -hmm. It's not trying to be nostalgic. It feels like it was already there and was fucking awesome at it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> like mm -hmm. it sounds so great. I I yeah, I can't agree with you guys more on this point. I'm probably going to add it to the list of like you illegal YouTube playlists that are on my phone. It's <laughs> for me to just plug into my car and listen to it at some point or another. Uh, but similar to Near Autonoma, uh, Autonoma? Automata. At, 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 Atomata? Atom Smasher Deluxe. See, you're joking now, and I that was a sincere <laughs> attempt to pronounce the name of the video Near game. Near Automata. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Uh... <laughs> The songs in this game have mid-level progression based on your, like, contextual actions and what you're doing. Like, in the Mr. Oshira level specifically, every single time you clean up another section of, of his hotel, the music adds or removes, like, another distinct element. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of them are fantastic, and none of them feel <laughs> empty. Uh, nothing feels incomplete, so you're always surprised when you're like, oh, there's more music? Mm -hmm. There's even more you could fit into this? Uh, yeah, this... I'm flabbergasted by how much, how into it that, that this game can force you into. And it was yeah. one more of the myriad elements that made the boss fight with Nega Madeline so Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Special shout out to that song. Oh yeah. my god. No, that, that, uh, and we can go to that honestly because uh, leaving, because you get this, this narrative beat in between where uh, after the, the hotel level where you're talking to Theo and everything and uh, it's right before the like, cave level with the crystals and shit mm -hmm. um but then uh and, and that's sort of where the meat of the narrative comes out uh is in this like campfire conversation um and you start to understand like what uh madeline herself her like motivations are and like what exactly is going wrong and it's something that's so like unbelievably human where it's just like it isn't she's not in any sort of like undue duress she's just experiencing the stresses of modern life in a way that is is so is relatable and very normal and that's in that that creates the basis of what the game is about so then you go through the the crystal level which uh i don't know how much we want to talk about it it's sort of uh, it introduces some neat mechanical things in the way that every level does mm -hmm. carrying theo around in the crystal and we well, forgot about golden ridge you left out a level. I did forget about Golden Ridge. Is that the one with with awesome star space? It, no, it's the one with like the sweet color palette of like the sunset. Oh, sweet. Wait, doesn't that come after that? Yeah, I think it's right after the hotel. Oh. but I might be wrong. It's been a while. Yeah, um, but the the following level is the one where you actually get your second dash. Um, when you when you join up with Battlein, and yeah, so that boss fight. <laughs> Uh, is so crazy intense, and I don't know about you guys, but it took me forever to actually get through it. Like it's a, it's an it's an ordeal. Yeah, because it's, it's fucking long. <laughs> yeah, see, for me, uh, like it, I mean, it was challenging and it probably took me a while. But I feel like that's when I was like at my peak flow state with the game. Like, right. Mm -hmm. I, I I feel like I got through it without like the kind of frustration you might like expect would come from like the big boss fight of the mm -hmm. game. So like, but in a way that like enhanced it for me. Like I loved that sequence. Yeah, no, I agree. And the game, and that that boss fight in particular forces you into a flow state because if you aren't thinking on your feet in a way that 
you aren't really required to previously, then you aren't going to be able to complete it. There are very few... Like, you can't even land on the ground for, like, 70% of it. Yes. Like, from the from like the point that you jump to the point that you go to the next screen, very rarely is there a, part, a point to rest after, like, the first four screens. The way that they design her attacks is specifically to try and force movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the order in which those attacks are, are deployed does the same thing. There's a reason, especially in a lot of the early levels, that she opens with that line that, like, immediately cuts off normally an entire half of the screen from the, anything that you can actually work with, and often, depending on where you're at, force you to move from particular safe locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that you get hit with the much harder and more annoying like floating orbs that track your position, yeah. which immediately gives you a short-term incentive to keep moving and a long-term incentive to go as fast as humanly possible. Uh, and once you have those incentives in place, they can make it seem like an ordeal by just throwing an unbelievable amount of like diverse challenges your way over and over and over again. It's a platforming gauntlet in exactly the way that the Jinzo tree was a platforming gauntlet, but in a way that was more difficult, had even less of a downside if you lost, because you're only going back to the present screen, not to all previous screens. Right. Uh, And obviously, as we've already discussed, is way more mechanically tight because it was built by, like, nonsense Mario people. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh... It, it's nonsense Mario people are the people who created Super Mario cereal. <laughs> Good Mario people are the people who make Mario Maker levels. Are you implying that there is a specific or subcategory of Nintendo uh-huh. that's just like the crazy Just Mario's? like raving lunatics. Or just, you know, Mario people. Ma- they're just, you know, yeah. Mario people. Those who staple the plumber face. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. to where it belongs. Yeah. Okay. Uh... <laughs> I agree with all that, except for uh, the implication that this was somehow harder than the Jinso tree, which I disagree with on, like, a basic primary... <laughs> yeah, I also disagree with that. Yeah, I think that that level was just, like, the most balls no. ballsest hardest. <laughs> I think it was tighter. I think they're about the same difficulty, frankly, and I I'm will, I don't care enough to quibble on the cast about it. That's right. fair. Uh, yeah. I, I think they're reasonably close to one another, and I think it was the other elements of this conflict, especially the narrative elements, that made it really rise above. The fact that your entire goal through the duration, like it was a boss fight where the what you were trying to do was touch the boss. Yes, it wasn't even like explicitly antagonistic or uh, combative in the way yeah, that you want to give her a hug. Yeah, over and over and over again. Like you were like it was determination in the same way that Undertale often like uses its mechanics to try and force determination onto the player so they don't have to make you feel so aggressive all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah, uh, it's a nice subversion of yeah. what you would normally be doing in a boss fight. Yeah. A, subs- a subversion that tied back narratively into the point that they were trying to make about how you overcome the negative parts of yourself. Mm. Like a point that I genuinely haven't seen anyone else try to forward in media before. Not video games. Like just media? Just at all? Like it just seemed like a, at least uh, to me. Well, what about Inside Out? like specifically about the same thing i didn't see it so we We're, saw it together in theaters did we yes <laughs> i don't remember the plot of it somehow. <laughs> what uh, about dark link in ocarina of time no dark link does not help but you in inside in, in inside out the idea is the main character riley has all the characters in her head and 
the one that's like the dominant like personality trait for her is joy and uh they there's a part where like in the narrative that like they've moved to a new city and so she's feeling like some sad feelings so mm-hmm. like sadness starts to like overtake a lot of stuff and joy's like not having it and they spend like they have kind of like a butting heads uh like kind of narrative throughout the whole thing and then in the climax, like she, like Joy realizes that she has to like accept sadness is like an equal part of the. Okay, so I've definitely deleted this because yes. that didn't trigger anything for me. I'm just still complete blankness. But anyway, so that's that's that. Okay, I think that's also the plot of the Emoji Movie. Don't no. Oh. cut it. All right, that's not a that's not media we're allowed to acknowledge. Oh, okay, sorry. Anywho, uh. So yeah, I actually have now completely lost the plot of what we were talking about. <laughs> uh, uh, you well, were talking about um, the boss fight and how the mechanics are thematically tied to the narrative. Yeah, and uh, how the narratively narrative was specifically about like accepting the negative things about yourself. Yes, and I wanted to to go on from that. However, I did also have the thought of how much I would love to play the reverse of this boss fight, where it's like a more traditional boss fight, but the boss is just trying to touch you, <laughs> and you have to keep running away and finding places to stand to actually shoot at it. That sounds, like, really enjoyable in a game like this. That was kind of in this game. When, on the first mirror level where Madeline, for, or, or Negadlin, or whatever, yeah. first Adeline. exists, and you're running away from her billion clones of herself. You're right, yeah, that does happen. Uh, while we're on the subject of the narrative, just kind of backpedal a bit to mm-hmm. that scene where they're around the campfire. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, for me, like that's like such an important like moment in the game because, like I said before, like in the beginning, it felt like the narrative was kind of like an afterthought, and this was like a mechanics, you know, based game, like fuck the narrative kind yeah. of a thing. But uh, that's kind of where like the game, I think, really like culminates. Uh, like where, like the, like where you can kind of feel like where all the decisions like intersect, like the the art style, the narrative, the tone, the mechanics, all kind of feel like they click into place. Right. Like the the cute little character portraits that's like super <laughs> cropped in on her face, so it's just like her little face with the scarf coming up in, and she's got that cute little voice, and mm-hmm. you, you know, and like it. That's the moment where like the game I think really takes off. And I just wanted, I forgot to bring that up when you mentioned it, because <laughs> yeah. you kind of blew right past A little bit. And, and not only that, but the campfire scene avoids becoming a, uh, and this is going to be a pull for people who listen to it, who was doing an episode that probably not a lot of people did, but a Susan and Mitzi thing, where it feels like it's a necessary exposition dump, but it goes on too long. Like, this one feels like it's, and it gives you the out to leave at any time, because you can... You ba- can end the conversation. Right. Though. And it just, like, it's such a well-executed, like, thing like scene Mm -hmm. where it feels self-contained and like it does all the things that it needs to do but you also have the opportunity if that's not your engagement here to just blow by it and keep going Mm -hmm. and the game doesn't like harp on about it you know yeah and i give them a lot of props for introducing the character of theo where like if you were to like describe him to me, I would think that he sounded horrible, <laughs> but like in game, yeah, like he's it's, he's a well implemented character. Yeah, the, the as far as I found, saw anyway, the complete lack of sexual tension was also enormously refreshing. 
Yeah. <laughs> like That's the, true. The fact that he was, like, just a bro and nothing else, and it was unique enough that it, it always set me off, kil- off kilter and made me made the, the whole sequence of their interactions less predictable in general because it's just so rare that you see, like, a completely metonic, like, totally isolated male-female relationship just in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, it did a good job. Yeah. Also, I like that Madeline freaks out when uh, the, like, lift stops and they have you do that little mini game with the the feather like by moving the the like the safe box mm-hmm. and then they show it back up later and subvert it by having the box just vanish. Yeah. Uh, just really good in general. In this game it seems like it never tolerated a scene as in like like a like in a, in the conventional understanding of a scene where it's just being presented to you without an interaction. Uh, that lasted more than like two minutes. Right. Like, the, like it always, it either turned itself into a twine game uh, with uh, the, the, the camps up, the campfire, the dialogue selection trees, or there was just always something that kept you there and kept you engaged. The kind, it like, kind of like the calm, smooth version of what uh, quick time events were are used for in action games. Right. Yeah. This is the good version of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on from there, uh, and probably wrapping up this particular discussion, um, we kind of get to what is the final level of the game, where the goal ostensibly is to get to the top of the mountain, but your like moment-to-moment interaction is just getting to those checkpoints. And uh, I really like this because it solves a problem that I feel like a lot of people playing it don't realize was there, which is that the game operated purely on like a screen by screen basis. So you would have a, a like a level that was a screen and an obstacle and you get over the obstacle, you get to the next screen, that's where your progress is. And they were able to make it continuous by introducing the checkpoint flags, which I thought was really nice because it also gave you like a visual indicator of where you needed to get to. Uh-huh. So this is like a, a purely just like a, a off sort of mechanical signaling thing but i thought it was really well executed and uh reminded me of of the little like that that flag like the the that stands out and has a number on it and it's like i think it's yellow and like pixelated was just such like it felt like a throwback in and of itself to Mm -hmm. like a an nes game or something it's also thematically appropriate right because you're actually flags while you're climbing a mountain yeah this game made me like confetti again Oh, yeah, just like... <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten that confetti, when used appropriately, can be, like, actually exciting in a really dumb yeah. way. The like... last good use of confetti in video games was probably Grunt Birthday Party in Halo. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. Not Viva Pinata. No. Overused. <laughs> I've heard weirdly good things about Viva Pinata, but don't know anything about it. Me so. Yeah. Just assuming there's confetti in that. It seems... Unavoidable. Yes. I feel like we've missed the Viva Pinata train by like about fifteen years. I feel like if we did an episode about Viva Pinata, people probably would not tune in for that one. No. Even more so than they already don't. Yeah. Let us know if you want us to do a Viva Pinata episode. <laughs> I feel like it would almost be difficult to play at this point. Right. Yeah. I mean But anyway. I feel like the sexual tension really streaming along. <laughs> yeah, in Viva in Viva Pinata they do a really bad job of not showing the sexual relationship that's obviously happening mm-hmm. between the donkey pinata and the main character. <laughs> <laughs> uh so Celeste. Oh right. And you make it to the top of the mountain. And then the game ends. 
thank you for listening to this. <laughs> what are we talking about? No. Um, but no, I like it that none of the other characters, like, join you at the top. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that seems like something that you might think would happen, but it doesn't. Yeah. I think it's a good choice. It does also when you, like, start the, the climb back down, like, the credit sequence. Like, you're sitting there and you're going, like, I wonder where Theo ended up. Yeah. Because, like, he made it pretty far, but I guess that wasn't his goal, so he just turned around at yeah. some point. Mm-hmm. He went back for you, and then never went back up after that. Right. Yeah. He went down to the, the secret jungle. Yeah, he went the to the secret... Yes, the secret jungle, of the and then back lands. to base camp. <laughs> uh... But I, I really liked the, that it let you just, like, sit there on that screen, like, at the top of the mountain, like, looking out over it, mm-hmm. like, for a while. Mm-hmm. It's a nice, like, release moment. It's very effective. Like, in a lot of games, I would be like, eh, whatever, and, like, skip. But this one, I actually, like, let it sit there for, like, maybe, like, eight minutes. Mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, whatever, and then popped right back up and oh, finished yeah. the game. How good it was felt so appropriate. the placement of the like viewfinder or on the last level where you can like scroll like a ludicrous distance through like all 25 flags and then when it gets to the end it like zooms in subtly on the peak you didn't look in the viewfinder oh god damn it's so good i did i looked in like one of the viewfinders realized what it was and realized that i as a person (laughs) do not do well when like they give me that opportunity pr- to prepare I never take it and then I always feel like I'm cheating myself so I just skipped all viewfinders from that point on I was just like I'm just gonna get, fly by the seat of my pants because I know that I will perform better that way mm-hmm. yeah well I am the same way where like they don't really give me any useful information because I'm not gonna remember the layout right uh, but I did look at them all because of me Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did love that moment where it just keeps going and yeah. it scales all it scrolls all the way to the top of the mountain. That was pretty cool. Because it completely under, undermined it. Like the point of that viewfinder wasn't even to give you useful information. Because when you keep going and you realize that the information it contains is like functionally infinite in terms of your memory, right. all it was there was to set the stage of like it's in sight, go for it, <laughs> uh, and very pump pumped me hard. Very pump. <laughs> very pump. <laughs> Ellipsis pumped me <laughs> hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it was really good, especially considering, like, by the time you get to the end of the game, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but it sure was for me, mm-hmm. uh, I kind of just forgot that the goal was to climb a mountain. What? Like, it was such, like, the point where, like, there were so many threads coming in and out, and, like, there was a whole, like, second me that popped up, and I knew that the mountain was, like, responsible for that, but I kind of forgot that, like, the point the whole time was just to get to the top of it. I'm like, this seems so small now, Madeline. Get your shit together. <laughs> you have an evil entity living inside of you. <laughs> Uh, I think you're alone on this one. Yeah, dude. Because I feel like every character mentions that you're climbing the mountain every five seconds. (laughs) Yeah, but they're like, what are you climbing the mountain to prove? Like, why are you here? Yeah, well, no, it does kind of shift focus in the middle, but... Yeah. I was just really all in on on the ancillary narrative points that the primary goal, I lost sight of it. I really lost sight of the mountain for the trees. Speaking of ancillary things... Here's something I'm tagging on forcibly with no context to the conversation. (laughs) I Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Thank you. Uh, The tutorial to the way that the eldritch flying eyeballs work 
is so good. Maybe one of my favorite tutorials to any mechanic ever. Okay. Uh, that sequence, whether you know it or not, told you everything about how the eyeballs work. Uh, it, you sat there for a while and then realized you could move it, telling you they can move, and then you navigated through a crazy, terrifying space through the obstacles that are the obstacles those eyes can interact with. Right. You interacted with the crazy invisible walls you couldn't pass through and the things that you could break. And then when you finally got to it and reached yourself in the end, uh, you killed yourself mm -hmm. and it eliminated that. Everything was communicated in a way that was totally unexpected. I'd like obviously I might like I had no idea what was gonna happen after my mind had been forced into the body of this like horrid creature. Right. Uh, and I knew he'd, after that point they were terrifying and I knew everything about them to come. Like I, I just wanted I could not for, uh, forgive myself if I ended this podcast in any way without <laughs> pointing out maybe my favorite tutorial of all yeah. time. That is a very cool little element, but it it feels like kind of unnecessary though. And I'm not saying like oh it was bad or anything, but like they could have accomplished the same thing by like putting you in a space that you couldn't get out of and having one like fly up and crash through it. You know, or like there's other ways they could have just shown it to you without but giving it, you it, control of it. Yeah, it's cool that they went the extra mile though and yeah. did like something uh, unique with it. The one thing that I found neat about them that was not mentioned prior uh, that I do want to mention since they've come up now is the fact that after you jump on them, you can use their, like, re-emergence as, like, a, a boost. Like, if you stand on their corpse and then jump, it'll, like, throw you up. And that's a, a also just a neat thing that they added, like, an additional uh, utility to the anime as well. Mm -hmm. No parts of this game were wasted, really. No. Um... I honestly don't have a whole lot more. I think that we hit like sort of the major points. I just wanted I wanted to bring up the art style. Yeah, and that's like something that does get talked about. Like that it, this game does do its pixel art really well. I feel like I'm a terrible judge of it though. Yeah. Oh, well, I really am a big fan of the backgrounds and the color choices. Uh, like the color palette's very distinctive, which is always good. But and I really like the character portraits as well. But like the sprites. I feel, like, really torn about the sprites. <laughs> because, like, they're, like... It's kind of like an Undertale thing, where, like, the backgrounds will be more detailed than, like, these really simplistic sprites. And it's, like, I have to, like, question the decision. Like, what does the game gain by, like, simplifying the sprites so much? Because it does, like... It really stands out to me. Mm -hmm. As I would play, I would get used to it and not think about it. But when I boot it up, I'm always like, that's even more, like, <laughs> simplistic than I remember it being. True. Right. Absolutely true. I, I feel like you're... So I'd like to hear that... Like, there's probably... The developers have probably talked about it since you said there's a lot of information. Yeah. But uh, I'd like to see what they have to say. I feel like the goal of aesthetic choices like that almost universally comes down to... Functionality. Yeah, like, how how easy is, is it to see where your character is in the level. And I feel like they nail it for a lot of the game. I think that, because for the most part when you're playing this game, you're watching the hair. Like, mm -hmm. that's your, like, point of reference well, at all times, even and the like, red always stands out against Theo's the... Even Theo's hair is very, like, and he's not even a playable character. Yeah. It's like, they very much stands out in his design. Right. How it bounces. So, you have this thing. The only issue, because I, I found that it worked Pretty much through the whole game, like, there were very rarely times when I felt like I had to, like, reorient myself, um, and 
I think that maybe it just succeeded in that, uh, mm-hmm. just like full stop. The only issue that I have with the visuals, and I, I know I pointed this out to you, and it's something that I bring up like every single time that these obstacles exist in a game, is that at the very end of the game, they introduce ice spikes that I couldn't see, like against the background, like at all. Um, but all of the other dangerous objects were like vivid and distinct. That was like the first time that I felt like, oh, this is a little bit like I've got, I'm getting an Ori vibe here. Where I have no idea if something's gonna kill me or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about all I had to say. I just feel like you probably could have like had just as good of like functionality or playability with the higher fidelity sprites. So I just wonder what the, why the decision was made. Right, might be an animation thing as well. It's easier to do. Yeah. animations with that low level of detail. Can you imagine if Celeste had just like a face drawn on her for the entire game? It would look so goofy. Well, that's because that's it's in contrast to what you already know. I guess. Just, well, you're imagining a face on the just the peach pixel right. face now. It's just like two small dots and like a smile. Yeah. He looks like the, the commander character from VVVVV. Mm-hmm. It's just like a goofy smiley face. Yeah, yeah, just, uh, that's all I had to say about it, really. Well, then, that sounds to me like it's time for some final thoughts. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I'll throw some, like, echo on that. Good. Yeah. Oh, uh, so my final thoughts are that I really enjoyed this video game. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that I kind of expected to enjoy when I came into it, uh, based on what I'd heard, people that I respect tended to like this game so I expected myself to like the game and that was largely a self-fulfilling prophecy I think that it was it was a lot more difficult than I kind of expected it and I think that that has to do with sort of the the cutesiness of it you look at something like Super Meat Boy and it's a game that's just full of blood and like grindy saw blades and shit and this one is pretty serene all things considered mm-hmm. uh you're climbing up a mountain you're trying to overcome personal demons uh but what you see from the outside is really just like a little girl um who in the game is like narratively like in her 20s um but like a little girl in a coat jumping around having a fun time and then the game just like destroys you uh <laughs> on, on an emotional level and <laughs> uh, in the end, I ended up loving it. I felt like the iteration time was perfect. It gave me that Hotline Miami sort of consistent, like, repeating and perfecting and then going for, like, being more stylish even by the end of it. Um, and I think all of that combined into what is uh, arguably one of the best value packages I think I've seen this year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh you guys already know how I feel about this mostly. It's the best platformer I have ever played. I am skeptical I will play much better than this because the amount of like emotional core needed alongside ludicrous mechanical fidelity to even compete with this is something where if anything else comes out in the future to surpass it, I'll probably just like weep openly. Like I probably wouldn't be able to discuss <laughs> it on the podcast through like the tears of emotional joy that will have consumed me. Oh my god, play this game. This is like the third time on a podcast episode that JJ's had a favorite platformer. Yes. So it was Ori, <laughs> which was originally your favorite platformer, and then Mario Odyssey, which I'm assuming is your favorite 3D platformer. Correct. And then this became your new favorite platformer after you played it. Yes. We're breaking new ground here. And that you make me play platformers, yes. Yeah. 
I still don't have a favorite turn-based <laughs> tactics game. <laughs> I hate you. Um, as I uh, had mentioned before, uh, I got this mostly just based on your recommendation and played through it and kind of I just thought it was okay at first. But then when I came back to it, it really surprised me. Um, the narrative isn't like anything like amazing but it's very effectively told and nicely woven in with the mechanics and in a way like i wasn't expecting and once i yeah like got into that flow state i usually i like games like this but don't like love games like this i think Mm -hmm. i ended up liking it less than the two of you based on what you said but no i found this game to be a pleasant surprise like i liked it that it it changed it was able to win me over and change my expectations i think i Made, made me like it more than I would have otherwise. Yeah. So, in summary, uh, everyone's favorite way to end an essay. Uh, p- pros, uh, platforming, story, music, etc., etc. Cons, fuck those pink clouds. <laughs> Zero out of ten on those pink clouds. <laughs> I thought you were going to move into, like, an IGN-style structured review score system <laughs> joke. As a, this, this is the new thing yeah. for the Netflix podcast. But I'm glad that you instead just dunked on the pink clouds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Noclip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we are going to be talking about No Man's Sky, which is where we have our cake and eat it too, because we were like, we only talk about games at least like a year after they come out. Did we ever say that? No. That's just like <laughs> the trend, is that we play games that are old that no one is talking oh, about. okay. Uh, because it. we're bad at marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now everyone's talking about No Man's Sky again, so we gotta jump on that train uh, and ride it straight to Money Town. Uh, <laughs> if you... Uh, <laughs> If you'd like to get a hold of us during our journey to Money Town, uh, all of our contact information is on nocliptpodcast.com. You can find our email, our YouTube channel, links to iTunes, Google Play, however you're listening to us now. Uh, Maybe try listening to us on another thing. That could be a fun, like experience uh while you're there uh we put up the first episode of no clip pocket um which is an episode on super mario land 2 six golden coins um so that check that out let us know what you think uh our follow-up to that is going to be on a game called home if you wanted to jump on that uh what we had other things I w- oh, yeah, I wanted to thank uh, Janelle Vickers for taking over our Twitter account. Uh, she's much better at the social media thing than we are and uh, has has been actually using it, so mm-hmm. follow us at Noclip Podcast. And that's your social. Yeah. That, that was pretty clear. I think that was what was lacking. Right. Lack mm-hmm. of... so, uh, yeah, it was media that was just not being used in a social manner. <laughs> that was our problem. Mm-hmm. Uh and that's what I get. Yeah. Woo! Oh, also keep in mind that it might be a little bit before the next episode because that's just what we do now. Goodbye. <laughs> We're working on that. <laughs> I love that your last pre-end of podcast joke contextualize us as carpetbaggers <laughs> because I really do kind of emotionally see us like carpetbaggers in the best way. Right. Ugh. We're free spirits.
poor and alone with only <laughs> each other in hopes and dreams of beautiful things. Attempting to make money off of other people by deceiving them. <laughs> yes. Excellent. 